churches that run two and 3,000 people and all of these types of things. But if you'll notice the ministry of the Lord Jesus, that is, He invested His life, the great amount of His ministry of some three to three and a half years, He invested in 12 people. Did you ever think about that? Not so much two or 3,000 people, but He consistently, continuously invests Himself in approximately 12 people, and one of them is a devil. So there's some things that he wants to tell these men. And he says, when I'm gone, he said, there will be another that will come. And he's talked about many times in these chapters. He's called in our reading in verse number 7, he's called the Comforter, but it's interesting that that is not his entire ministry. It's not just comforting. Because as I read the Bible, he goes on, he says, And when he has come, verse 8, he will reprove the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Now what I want to do is I want to put a word right here. And I want to talk about the meaning of this word. This word, I was talking in the class on Hebrews that I like to use synonyms that mean similar things so we can understand what a word may or may not mean. And look at the verse 8 when it says, and when He has come, He will reprove the world. We don't necessarily in our teaching and preaching use the word reprove as much as we may use another word. And that's the word that I want to put here. And that is this word. That word is pronounced two different ways depending on your usage. There is a verb, convict. There is a noun, convict. One becomes the other because of circumstances. A convict becomes a convict because he's been convicted. And it's interesting that as we look into the Scriptures and what the Word of God has to say here, He talks about the convicting power of the Spirit of God and talks about here the things that He will convict people of. To convict also means to convince someone. Uh, I've I've had ministry in prisons and jails and things like that. I'm sure you have too. And it's interesting when you talk to people that are behind bars and that are what we call incarcerated. And what's interesting about it is when you're talking to them, none of them are ever guilty. Have you ever noticed that? I've yet to meet a person behind bars. There are so many criminals outside of jail, it's not funny. Did you ever think about that? Because all the innocent people are behind bars. I wonder how many real criminals are sitting right here. You should be behind bars. If, if what they're saying is true, you know, that's all about the truth, isn't it? Because they're always innocent. Everybody, nobody's done anything wrong. But you know how they got where they are? Because somebody got the goods on them. Somebody, can, somebody brought enough evidence that they brought about a convicting. And that convicting is when you find out that you've done something wrong. And when you do something wrong, then you've got to make restitution. If somebody goes to jail, they go to jail because they've been convicted of a crime 
and they must make amends. Okay? I, to illustrate the fact of what I want to say spiritually, years ago I, I lived in Florida. I went to Bible college in Florida. And, and I was a youth pastor in a little church. And I went to a, a home, and, I was, and it was a nice part of town in that neighborhood, and I knocked on the door. And I was inviting people to church in this very nice, very prestigious looking lady came to the door. And I said, I'm from such and such church and I'd like to invite you to come and to visit us at our church. And she looked at me and she said, go talk to somebody that needs it. And then she abruptly closed the door in my face. To which I said to myself, I just found somebody that does. <laughs> she needed to hear, but she didn't want to hear. And there are people that are very, very self-righteous and they do no wrong and they're good. And how good are they? Ask them. And they'll take you. Right. They'll take But that fellow that has to go to that jail, to that prison, to that uh, work camp, whatever you want to call it, they go because they've been convicted, because there was evidence, because the police put something on them and found out that they were guilty. And let me just say this about that. You can never be saved until, first of all, you're lost. Mm-hmm. It's impossible. You, if you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not going to come because you are self-righteous and not because you've done God a favor and it's not because you're just this great thing and just ask me, I'll tell you. I was talking to a fellow recently and he does a lot of singing. He does a lot of professional gospel singing and he began to tell me all the awards and trophies and recognitions and how he had letters from the presidents of the United States and how movie actors and actresses had written him letters and all like this. And the whole time I'm listening to this conversation, I'm saying, I don't want to hear this. I don't really care what the presidents or what the... Hollywood people have to think about anything like that. I just want to know what does God think about it? Is God pleased? Let God be true. Every man a liar. And it doesn't matter what man thinks. What matters is what does God know. Someone said that about the difference between reputation and character. I think it was Dr. Bob Jones Sr. that said that reputation is what man thinks you are and character is what God knows you are. And there's a big difference. Have you ever been reading... When you got saved, I wonder if you can tell me how you got saved. I think if we had time, we'd go around here and we'd start asking people how you got saved. And, and, and you would all give us different ideas and different things that transpired about your salvation but I think that we would all be alike in one area. And that one area we would all be alike in is this. Somewhere down the line, you met either a gospel preacher who opened the Word of God, or you read a Gideon Bible, or you read a gospel tract, or someone in your family witnessed Christ, and all of that varies, but there's one common denominator. Somewhere down the line, through that experience or experiences, the Holy Spirit did this to you. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Amen. You said, man, I didn't like that. I know what happened when I, I, mean, I was so upset, man, when I found out and, and people witnessed to me and I'd go to bed and I couldn't even sleep. Man, I'd go two or three days and finally I'd just call the preacher up or I'd call this person up and I'd get this soul in and I needed help. And I just said, please come talk to me. And that was so miserable. But out of misery comes joy. Ladies, there's a reason why God let you have babies. Because we men are wimps. All the suffering, all the pain. My dear wife, when Bethany was being, uh, was being birthed, my wife, she says, come here. Come here. And I thought, she wants to hug me. <laughs> she wants to kiss me. Isn't that wonderful? But when her hands started going from my neck, <laughs> I somehow felt the Lord was not in that. <laughs> but out of that pain and sorrow came joy. And through the misery, if you will, that transpires when the Holy Spirit reproves us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, the end result is well worth the experience. Because the turmoil results in peace. The peace that passes all understanding. Why? Because you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and you have changed from darkness to light. From agony to joy. From turmoil and suffering to bliss. Think about when you trusted the Lord. Think about when you got saved. And think about the day that the Spirit of God began to deal with your heart and began to touch your heart and speak to you. Isn't it amazing how that Bible... That Bible, you look at that Bible, and that's, that's a book. But isn't it amazing how loudly that book speaks? You go and hear preachers say, Oh man, i got to sit through that. And then all of a sudden, the longer you sit... And the more He opens that book and the more the Spirit of God works, you start perking up. And you start listening a little more. Wow. I remember at 15 years of age when I went to, to, to was invited by an uncle of mine to a revival meeting at the church that he was attending and I went with my family and I sat there and I thought this is the most boring thing I ever heard in my life. And we went every night to that revival meeting and that was back in the day and some of you remember when they used to have revival meetings Sunday to Sunday. I mean, we had revival meetings Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and go back on Sunday. Churches used to do that. There was a day where churches used to meet for a month at a time every day, every night. Now you can barely get a holy grunt out of two days if you get that much. I remember when I, but each night I went finally on Saturday night. The preacher was there, a little preacher from West Virginia. And I mean, I tell you what, I, I, I grabbed that pew and I about broke that pew in two. I was so under conviction of sin. But I was only 15 years of age. I never did drink, smoke, chew, or ran with them to do. I didn't do any of that stuff. But boy, God sure nailed me. 
Well, I found out that evangelist was leaving, and I was awful glad of that. Because <laughs> I got through that invitation that night, and I got in the car, and I'll never forget what I told my mother. I said, you know, I think if it is saying one more verse just as I am, I think I'd have gone forward. I remember saying that. Next day when church pastor was there, and I'd been there before when the pastor was there, he didn't bother me. That little preacher from West Virginia bugged me. Then I learned something. It wasn't a little preacher from West Virginia. It was the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit picked back up where the little preacher from West Virginia was gone, and he picked up where the pastor was there, and buddy, that was it. And my, my uncle, he put his arm around my shoulder during the invitation. He said, are you ready? And I said, yes. Yeah. But I went down that altar and I did business with God 15 years of age. Amen. I was under conviction of sin. I was, I did not, I never, I've never been to the God be the glory, never been a drunk a day in my life. God didn't have to bring me out of that. Somebody said, well, you must have some wicked sin. No, I didn't have any wicked sin, but God sure showed me and nailed me to the wall and showed me I was a sinner and I was going to go to hell. And brother, I went down that Sunday morning I got that thing taken care of. Amen. You know what my answer to that is? Thank God for the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Have you, ever, have you ever taken your children and disciplined your children? Or maybe when you were young, you were disciplined. My mother was a small woman. Probably, I guess, she might have come up to my shoulders and she might have weighed 100 pounds soaking wet. And there'd be times I'd get in trouble and she'd say, you go outside and you get me a switch. Has anybody in here ever had to go out and get your own switch? I'm glad. Brother Bill must have never got any trouble because he's not raising his hand. But I tell you, I did. But I wasn't. Now, my mama did not raise a dummy. Because I would go out and I would find the smallest switch that I possibly could. And then I'd bring it in and I'd show it to them. And also, also, you had to strip your switch. You know what I mean? You know, stripping the switch, you had to, you had to take those leaves off that switch. That was humiliating. <laughs> and get inside and I'd say, I'd look and I'd say, there it is. And she'd look at that thing she'd say, that's a nice switch. And then she'd reach behind the, stove, the refrigerator and she'd say, but this one's better. <laughs> I know you find this hard to believe, but I learned to dance at a young age. <laughs> she'd get to working that thing over, and oh boy. Now, you know what people they call that? They call that child abuse. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, I'm glad for mamas and daddies to think enough to do what's right and to show somebody they're wrong. And you know what's wrong with this generation is that we're, we're raising children that have never been taught responsibility for their actions. Yeah. You know why the Holy Spirit meets you in the Word and begins to convict you and me about things? Because we need to take responsibility for who we are and what we do. Call it what you will. Some people call it rugged individualism. It doesn't really matter the terminology that you and I use. 
But it boils down to this, that we have a responsibility to do those things that honor the Lord. And the Spirit of God shows us, and if we do not do those things that God shows us, do you know what we have? We have rebellion. I read in the Bible, He that is often reproved and hardeneth his heart. But if they don't turn to the Lord, the book of Proverbs says, they do not come back to the Lord and that without remedy. There is no cure. The hardness of the heart, the hardness of the neck, the refusal to bow, the refusal to come under the submission of a holy God has awful ramifications. I heard the story of a man and a preacher and evangelist would go every year and he'd go to a church and, and, and he, would be, he would visit along with the pastor a man and the man would say, he says, you know, he'd say, yeah, I'll come to the revival, preacher. That's all right. That's fine. I'll come. And he would come. And finally, the preacher would come to see him another year. And this would go on and on and on. And finally, the, 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 the man said to the preacher, he said, yeah, I'll be there. But he said, let me tell you what I did. He said, I just got so tired of all of it. I told God one day, I said, God, I'll make you a deal. You leave me alone and I'll leave you alone. And whenever, every year that evangelist would come, that man would come and sit on the back pew, Holy Spirit conviction all over him. But when he said what he did and told that preacher what he told God, he started coming to that revival meeting and he left differently because God took him in His Word. He left outside the doors of that church with no Holy Spirit conviction because God took him in His Word. Oh, happy day when the Spirit of God will speak to your heart. What did I say the title of the sermon was? One of the greatest things will ever have ever happen in your life. And one of the greatest things will ever happen in your life is when, when God Almighty loves you enough that He's willing to convict you of sin and show you the error of your ways. And, and then what we do, what do we do with that blessed verse? Thank God for 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins. Oh, is that what you call them? You mean they're not slight transgressions? You know they're not they're not mistakes. They're not teensy itsy bitsy little bitty errors. God calls it sin. Yeah. And I need to call it what God calls it. There are people like this gentleman right here, and they they're in our, they're in our prison system. And it used to be with the prison system the way it was. I think people talk so much about being humane. I don't, I'll be honest with you, I don't see anything humane about having a work detail out and having a man, a guard with a rifle <laughs> aimed at you to shoot you if you run. I don't consider that humane. You know what I wish we'd go back to? Ball and chain. I think it's a whole lot more humane than to make them tow a ball and chain and they can't run than have to chase them down and blow them out. That's my opinion for what it's worth. Back in the day, though, they used to have the ball and chain. And the ball and chain was a weight. You couldn't run. You didn't have freedom to get out and do all of these things. 
And it definitely, I think, had its advantages. Spiritually, we have in our lives balls and chains. A little bit different, though, perhaps, than the type of ball and chain that they had back in those days. The ball and chain that you and I probably have spiritually is sort of like Ebenezer Scrooge. You remember when Jacob Marley visits him and he said, you have a ponderous chain that was as long as my chain seven Christmases ago and you have labored on it furiously. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. My Bible tells me the he that sinneth shall die. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. There's something about sin. And if, but if I do not know that I am a sinner, if I do not know that I have done wrong, that I can go to a devil's hell in my own self-righteousness and, and perhaps try to point my finger in the face of God and say, I did not know. I never knew. Rich man did that in Luke chapter 16, but he had no excuse. He that went so far as to say, send Lazarus to my five brothers and let them know of this awful place of torment. And Father Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Somebody says, boy, I wish I could see a miracle. I wish it would be great. Wouldn't it be great to send people from hell to, to some of our loved ones? No, because all they do is say, man, that was sure a hard pepperoni pizza I had last night. <laughs> no, it's the Word of God and always has been the Word of God and always will be the Word of God that takes and convicts a man of his sin. We are connected to that ball, of, that, that great ball, that great weight. I'm reminded in the book of Hebrews it talks about let us lay aside the sin and the weight that doth so easily beset us. That great weight represents sin. What sin will carry a man, woman, boy, or girl to eternity without God? Is it drinking? Is it smoking? Is it chewing? Is it alcoholism? Is it marijuana and drug usage? Is it adultery? Is it stealing? What is it? It's very simple. The Bible says, so they could not enter in because of unbelief. And the sin of unbelief is what, is what takes every man, woman, boy, or girl to eternity without Christ. There's a great weight of sin. But when I accept and trust Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, 
He will come and break the chains of sin. And He will set the captive free. But not until I come to the place where I am convicted and shown that I have done wrong. I would ask each of us in our relationship to Jesus Christ. You are here because God has called you to come and to serve the Lord here. But may I say to you that if you have unconfessed sin in your life, you cannot be used by God. You have to do what the old timers say. You've got to have a time of fessing up. God will not take a dirty vessel and fill it with clean water. We can blame everybody else if we want to, but it's not my brother and it's not my sister. But it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer.